Welcome, listeners, to this Vetfolio podcast as we explore the topic of the heart of the matter, canine cardiology today, sponsored in part by Beringer Ingelheim Vet Medica, who strives to provide value through innovation as a global leader in the animal health arena. This episode's featured guest is Dr. Kevin Christensen, a veterinary graduate of Kansas State University and cardiology trained at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Christensen is a board-certified veterinary cardiologist who works as a senior scientist in research and development for Beringer Ingelheim Vetmedica, Inc. For more information, visit bi-vetmedica.com. My name is Matthew Lyon, and I'll be serving as your host on today's session as we explore the first episode in our four-part podcast series about how today's progressive clinics can diagnose and treat canine heart disease and heart failure. Along the way, we'll touch on the importance of monitoring and early diagnosis of cardiac problems, breeds most at risk for heart failure, and how we can help pet owners become a productive part of the care team. And later, we'll be joined by Dr. Kevin Christensen. Kevin is a board-certified veterinarian, cardiologist, and senior scientist for Beringer Ingelheim Vetmedica, Inc., who will discuss best practices and the latest trends in canine cardiology. Over the past few decades, there have been substantial changes in the way that congestive heart failure, or CHF, is diagnosed and treated. Here today to shed some light on this sometimes mysterious and emotional topic is Dr. Kevin Christensen. Kevin has spent the last 10 years as a veterinarian specializing in cardiology. Thanks for stopping by today, Kevin. Thanks. Great to be here. Fantastic. We know that CHF is a progressive degenerative disease, and the end result is death. But what are the specifics of how CHF affects a dog? Clinical congestive heart failure, or what you abbreviate as CHF, occurs when the heart is no longer able to pump the volume of blood that the body needs. And so the resulting back pressure causes fluid to build up in the dog's body. And we typically see this as pleural effusion in the chest or within the lung tissue itself as pulmonary edema or in the abdomen as ascites. So, Kevin, we know that heart disease in dogs is pretty common. The question for you is how common is common, and what's the ultimate goal for treatment? Well, it's estimated that 10% of all dogs seen in primary care veterinary practices have some form of underlying heart disease. And the percentage goes up as dogs get older. And for senior dogs, the prevalence may be higher than 75%. So, In your view, what is a veterinarian's primary role in the treatment of canine heart disease? I don't think that we should underestimate how important the practitioner is in this process. Breaking it down very simply, we're all aware that cardiac disease exists in two relatively distinct phases. The preclinical phase, which we label heart disease, and where cardiac changes are taking place, but the heart is adequately compensating. And then we have the clinical phase, described as heart failure, where the changes reach a point at which heart function becomes decompensated. 
and we start to see clinical signs. In the majority of cases, the preclinical phase is indicated by a heart murmur, often discovered during a routine wellness examination. It's at this point that we're often able to further characterize the disease by performing additional diagnostics and then, very importantly, spend time educating the owner on the likely progression of the disease. To get the best results in treating any cardiac condition, we must educate the pet owner. This becomes especially important in the clinical phase where having the pet owner recognize the clinical signs associated with cardiac decompensation can make all the difference in our ability to institute appropriate medical therapy as early as possible. Now, Kevin, when you talk about the clinical signs of heart failure, what is it that you specifically ask the pet owners to watch for? One of the more subtle and early signs is actually one that is easiest for pet owners to monitor. Having them routinely measure resting respiratory rate while their dog is sleeping gives a nice quantifiable metric for them to measure. Of course, they should also be aware of the other common signs we see like lethargy, exercise intolerance, inappetence, and coughing. Now, a heart disease diagnosis can come as quite a shock to a pet owner. Absolutely. All sorts of things can be flying through the owner's head. They have this strong emotional attachment to the dog, and we're telling them that their pet has progressive cardiac disease. Having said that, one of our goals must be to communicate to pet owners that great treatment protocols exist and that, in many cases, pets can live comfortably with the disease for many years. So now let's go back a step and talk about some of those early heart changes in a little bit more depth. You talked about murmurs earlier. Can you give us a quick 101 on what we're listening to when we hear a murmur? Of course. Going back to the absolute basics, a murmur is caused by a change in normal blood flow through the heart. The most common cause is a leaky or defective heart valve. In rare cases, we can point to congenital causes like a septal defect. The majority of heart murmurs we hear will be due to atrioventricular valvular insufficiency where the valve degenerates gradually and causes blood to leak back from the left ventricle to the left atrium during systole. It's that high-pressure jet of blood leaking back into the atrium that we're hearing as the murmur. Also worth noting is that the atrioventricular valve is also known as the AV valve or the mitral valve. So what we're calling AVVI, some practitioners may know as mitral valve disease. We also hear murmurs and other forms of cardiac disease, of course, but the progression can be different. When we look at dilated cardiomyopathy or DCM, the heart muscle changes start to happen to the whole heart instead of just one valve. So hearing a murmur can be a signifier of a more advanced disease state. Kevin, you mentioned atrial ventricular disease and dilated cardiomyopathy. Am I right in saying that these are both forms of acquired heart disease? Spot on. Heart disease is either congenital or acquired, but only about 5% of heart disease cases are congenital. As we mentioned earlier, ventricular septal defects are an example of one of those congenital forms. 
since by definition they're present from birth, we usually find congenital cases when the dog is less than two years old. The other 95% of heart disease is what we consider acquired, as you mentioned. That group can include a lot of conditions like heartworm disease and tumors of the heart, for example, but the vast majority of acquired heart disease that we see can be broken down between dogs who have mitral valve issues. AVVI? Right. Between AVVI and dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM, we see AVVI more in smaller breeds like Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, Chihuahuas, Boston Terriers. DCM is prevalent in larger breeds like Dobermans, Boxers, and Great Danes. The split between these diseases is around 85% AVVI and 15% DCM. They seem like two very separate breed groups. Generally speaking, yes. But the exception that proves the rule is, in this case, is a Cocker Spaniel. They're unfortunately susceptible to both AVVI and DCM. Good to know. Now, we talked earlier about preclinical and clinical stages of the disease. For some forms of heart disease, can we break things down a little more? True. In 2009, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine otherwise known as ACVIM for short, published guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of canine chronic valvular heart disease. Those guidelines were created to account for the expansion and development of new CHF therapies for AVVI. So the panel classified heart failure into four major stages, A through D, with treatment recommendations for each stage. How does that improve heart disease treatment? Well, for one thing, this system provides a common language and framework for developing protocols to manage dogs through each phase of the disease. A bonus is that pet owners can easily be taught this system, and it helps set expectations about what can and can't be accomplished through treatment. So maybe more familiar with earlier stage processes for mitral valve disease, can you walk us through these ACVIM consensus stages? Sure. Stage A is sort of a bucket for all susceptible dogs that have no structural heart abnormalities, so no murmurs present. For example, all healthy cavaliers would be in a stage A because they're part of the susceptible population. For example, stage B is actually split into two parts, B1 and B2. Stage B1 indicates that a murmur is present, for instance, a leaky valve, but there are no changes in the size or functionality of the heart and the dog displays no clinical signs apart from the murmur. Now stage B2 includes pets who are still preclinical, but who have a heart murmur and signs of cardiac enlargement. So the pet's heart is increasing in size, but there are no signs of congestive heart failure. Logically, then stage C describes the period in which we start to see clinical signs of cardiac failure because the heart is no longer able to work at the minimum effective level. Stage D is the end stage of congestive heart failure where pets no longer respond to conventional therapy. And the ACVM guidelines don't apply to DCM cases. 
So for AVVI, I think you said earlier there's a slow but steady progression through these stages. Right. It's dependent on each individual pet, but with AVVI, there's generally a fairly long preclinical period in which damage to a heart valve occurs over years. Now, when these pets enter stage C, death can occur within a matter of months without treatment. Obviously, we'd like to step in and avoid rapid progression. So what kind of treatments and therapies are available for CHF? Again, we can't cure congestive heart failure, but we talked earlier about treatment goals. We can improve how a diseased heart and residually affected organs work. In rare cases, you may hear of canine open heart surgery or valve replacement, but our focus is generally on using medication-based therapy to make the heart pump more efficiently and to remove any excess fluid buildup. Kevin, following up on your last comment there about medications, what are medications are used most often? Some of the more well-known groups of drugs we use are ACE inhibitors and diuretics. And then we can add meds like nitrates, hydralazine, amlodipine, digoxin, and dobutamine. Sometimes these drugs are stacked for maximum effectiveness. And of course, there's pemobendin, which is a widely used and popular dual-action CHF drug. Pemobendin? Yes. It's really a workhorse when it comes to CHF because it's effective in two ways. It's a positive inotropic agent, so it strengthens the heart's contraction to increase the dog's cardiac output. And it's also a balanced vasodilator, so it reduces the peripheral vascular resistance, easing the workload of the heart. Overall, the heart is able to pump the blood throughout the body with better efficiency, and it can do this without increasing oxygen or energy consumption. Almost sounds too good to be true. Has chemobendin been studied? There was the VETSCOPE trial, which showed that dogs with CHF due to valvular disease were treated with vetmedin, which is the well-respected brand name for pemobendin, showed significantly faster and greater improvement in clinical signs than dogs on an ACE inhibitor. Dogs treated with vetmedin also showed improvement for exercise tolerance, demeanor, and respiratory function by day 56 of the trial. And then there was the Quest study. Kevin, just to be clear, vetmedin and pemobendin are the same thing? Yes. Vetmedin is the original trade name for the drug pemobendin. Behringer Ingelheim Vetmedica Incorporated makes vetmedin and they sponsored the study. Great. Now, we were starting to talk about another study. Yes, the QUEST study. QUEST stands for Quality of Life and Extension of Survival Time, and it was the largest global study of its kind ever conducted in the field of veterinary cardiology. The study included 260 dogs at 28 sites in 11 countries over three years. Wow, that is huge. I know. And the study found that dogs with CHF on vetmedin therapy lived almost twice as long as those receiving an ACE inhibitor. Interesting. So at what stage of heart failure would you use pemobendin or vetmedin? 
The ACVIM currently recommends pemobendin treatment along with a diuretic and ACE inhibitor at the first clinical signs of CHF. So typically this starts at stage C and runs through stage D. And it is well tolerated? It is, and it's been used around the world for over 15 years. Of course, there could be some side effects, but they're not considered common. Side effects such as? Most commonly reported side effects are poor appetite, lethargy, diarrhea, dyspnea, azotemia, weakness, and ataxia. I think everybody knows you should familiarize yourself with the prescribing information for any drug before use. Now, Kevin, are there any dogs with CHF that shouldn't be taking Vetmedin? Of course. Yeah, Pemobin is given to dogs showing clinical signs of CHF due to AVVI or DCM. And we would note that there are no studies using Vetmedin in dogs with heart failure caused by other etiologies. Outside of that, the important safety information says pemobendin should not be given to dogs with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, aortic stenosis, or really any condition where adjusting cardiac output isn't appropriate for functional or bodily reasons. We're just about out of time, but it sounds to me like the keys to effective CHF treatment are vigilance both by the pet owner and by their veterinarian. Yes, and a rigorous medication therapy at the first signs of CHF with Vetmedin in conjunction with diuretics and ACE inhibitors. Thank you, Dr. Christensen. Be sure to catch our second episode as we take a deeper look at the risk factors and signs of CHF. Before we leave, there are some important safety information for you regarding Vetmedin. Vetmedin has not been studied in dogs younger than six months of age, dogs with congestive heart defects, or dogs with diabetes mellitus, or other serious metabolic diseases. This has been the Heart of the Matter Canine Cardiology Today, sponsored by Beringer Ingelheim Vet Medica. For more information, visit bi-vetmedica.com. And listeners, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for this Vetfolio podcast. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.